You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. Shipwreck. Very interesting. You know what it is? The destruction of hopes, dreams, etc. What you were hoping for it hadn't turned out like you expected. What you were dreaming of. Shipwreck. First Timothy, Paul writes, holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck in regard to the faith. It very simply means they're not following the Lord. Pastor Danny's going to bring us into the heart of a shipwreck today, when the ship that Paul was on encountered a hurricane force wind and was thrown off course and ultimately destroyed. The lesson for us is that life can be like a shipwreck. We can encounter hard things in life and be blown off course, but when our course intersects with the rocks, it can all be destroyed. In the middle of the storm, we keep our eyes on Christ and follow His lead. He will lead us to safety and away from the rocks. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Acts chapter 27 with today's edition of The Living Word. Acts 27, in fulfillment of a prophetic word about his life, Paul the apostle has now stood before high-ranking Gentile rulers and testified of Jesus Christ. Uh, Antonius Felix, Porcius Festus, and King Herod Agrippa II. Because he has appealed to Caesar rather than go back and stand trial in Jerusalem, As a Roman citizen, they grant his request, and now he begins his journey from Caesarea to Rome, where he will stand trial before the emperor Nero. It's quite a trip. Verse 1, when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the imperial Regiment, also known as the Praetorian Guard. Uh, these were highly trained Roman soldiers, and uh, one of the well, one of the goals of the training was to um, guard, especially people like the emperor and other high-ranking people. We boarded a ship from a dramatium about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia, and we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. I think later he'll regret he was with them. Next day we landed at Sidon and Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends so that they might provide for his needs, which tells me that this centurion had great respect for the apostle Paul. From there we put out to sea again and passed to the Lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. When we had sailed across the open sea off the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra in Lycia. There, the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. 
They didn't have cruise ships and passenger ships like we have now. These were cargo ships, and you would pay a certain sum, and you would go on the cargo ship. We made slow headway for many days, had difficulty arriving off Sinaitis. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the Lee of Crete, opposite Salmon. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens near the town of Lassia. Much time had been lost, and sailing had already become dangerous because by now, it was after the Day of Atonement. Now, what does he mean by that? The Day of Atonement was celebrated end of September, early October, and what he's saying is, at this time of year, it's right after this time that, well, conditions on the Mediterranean Sea, unsettled weather patterns made sailing more hazardous. So Paul warned them. Man, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring about great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. That would be the most important thing to hear. Paul is not speaking as someone who's an experienced sailor. And I have to believe what he's saying is inspired and he's moved by the Holy Spirit to warn them. It's not just a practical thing about the time of year and the sailing. He's a man of God. This is godly counsel. Verse 11, but the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. Let me just note, I can't tell you how many times over 32 years of ministry I've seen people, professing Christians, take the advice of the professionals versus the Lord. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority, the majority, so evidently the pilot the captain uh, of the ship and the owner of the ship uh, get together with others and the majority decided we should sail on. I don't know if you've noticed either, usually the wrong direction and the wrong decision is to follow the crowd. Hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there, this was a harbor in Crete facing both southwest and northwest. That's telling us practically speaking, it's a much better place to winter in. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity, so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. As Jim mentioned, Satan, not only a deceiver, but we deceive ourselves sometimes, and this is a deceptive wind. It's smooth sailing initially. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. A wind of hurricane force. Force. That's an interesting word. In the Greek, I thought you might be interested to know it's typhonikos. We get our English word typhoon. They're in trouble. The ship was caught by the storm, could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. Now, out of control. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Cauda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure, so the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. It's called frapping. Because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. <laughs> we took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, Notice, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. We, that's Luke, the writer. 
And I believe it would have to include, when he says we, he's including Paul. We gave up all hope of being saved. Now, I read a section like this. It's especially interesting to me because I am a boater. I've spent a lot of time on the water. I've been in some pretty pretty rough situations, scary situations, but I have never been in a situation like we are reading about here, nor, Lord, do I ever want to be. (laughs) Jim said, pray for him, pray for me. After they had gone a long time without food, pause right there just a minute. After they had gone a long time without food, why are they going a long time without food? Anybody ever been seasick? If you've never been seasick, because I love you, I pray that you are never seasick. I had one guy, a friend of my, one of my younger brothers, he came down to visit him years ago and I took them both fishing. I and my brother went down scuba diving and left his buddy in the boat. We came up, his buddy, because I told his buddy, if you start to feel a little queasy, best thing to do is jump in the water. He was in the water at the back of the boat. Honest to God, he said, sir, he's talking to me, sir, I will buy this boat if you will take me to land. No kidding. I didn't sell. I've been sick on the boat. I've been sick hanging on the ladder. I've been sick under the water with scuba tank on. Because they tell you in class when we're being trained, if you get sick underwater while you're scuba diving, don't ever take the regulator out of your mouth. Really? And I've been sick more than once. Fish that were not there come from everywhere. It is the best chum in the world. Now that I have everyone's attention, they're seasick. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. You know what that's called? That's called a rebuke. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed, shipwrecked, but they'll be saved. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And I love this next line. Catch this next line. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. Talking to him like he's the captain. So keep up your courage, men. I have faith in God that it'll happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. That's what God showed Paul. On the 14th night, get that? On the 14th night, they've been in this hurricane, this typhoon, for two weeks. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea. Based on interviews with experienced Mediterranean sailors, it's been calculated that a ship in this situation, one of these ancient grain ships, which is what this one is, we know that, and from the end of the story, we know it, it would have averaged in these conditions about one and a half miles per hour. That's fascinating to me, the calculation, because they would travel from when they started to where they will land, 476 miles. And if they averaged one and a half miles an hour, guess what? They're almost at their destination on the 14th day. So on the 14th night, we were still being driven across 
the Adriatic Sea, when about midnight, the sailors sensed that we were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. There was no sonar. There were no acoustical instruments in this day. The soundings were taken by hand. It was a line with intervals of, of measurement on the line and a, a weight on the bottom, usually hollowed out, and they'd fill it with something like grease so that when the bottom weight hit the bottom of wherever they were, it would pick up debris, and when they pulled up, they not only knew by measuring how deep the water was, they knew the water or, or the, the bottom conditions. Was it rocky? Is it sandy? Short time later, they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. They're headed for shore. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rock. So evidently when they pulled it up, they're like, this is rocky here. They dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. I did a little research on an ancient vessel like this. Most of them had two rudders, one on each side at the stern. You don't normally anchor from the stern, you anchor from the bow. They're dropping four anchors from the stern, not to stop the ship, but to slow it down, to slow it down because they're headed for land. They would have had to take the two rudders, raise them up, and secured them with ropes in order to anchor these four anchors. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers, believing Paul's word, cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you've been in constant suspense and have gone without food. 14 days they haven't eaten. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you, take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread, gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. Why are they still trying to lighten the ship more? Because a ship like this, large ship, the draft would have been deep. If you don't know what I mean by draft, every boat, ship has a certain draft, and they will tell you, it's, uh, my boat is like three feet. That means when I get in four feet of water and I got the motor down, all right, I'm probably going to hit bottom, or at three feet. At four feet, I'm okay, but three feet, probably the motor's going to hit. I get shallower than that, the bottom's going to hit, and I'm going to run aground. And they're concerned now because they know they're going to run aground. So they lightened the ship to, to help it get closer to the land before the bottom of the ship runs aground. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Sandy beach, much better than rocky beach. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea. And at the same time, untied the ropes that held the rudders. Remember, they took the rudders up, they dropped the four anchors. Now they cut the four anchors and they dropped the rudders to aim toward the sandy beach. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar, ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move. And the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding 
of the surf. Here you have this large ship, 276 people on board. It's a large ship. And once it runs aground, this hurricane, and, and I hope us in Florida can appreciate hurricane force winds. Now that the thing is stuck and the waves and the wind are pounding the stern, it begins to explode. The soldiers plan to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and he kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. And I want you to miss the last line of the story. In this way, everyone reached land safely. And you have to take that statement in the context of the whole story, including the cutting away of the lifeboat, which would have been trying to get out of the situation, but it's out of the will of God. I don't know any other text I've ever taught as a pastor that's easier to get the clear message out of than this text. It's just clear. It's unmistakable. The whole shipwreck, the damage, the loss could have been prevented if they'd have just listened to godly counsel. If they'd have just listened. Here's what it is, counsel, it's advice, guidance, direction, and sometimes very specifically warning. In this case, Paul warned them. If you go, if you, if you go, if we continue this direction, I can tell you, damage, loss, and danger for our own lives as well. Oxford Dictionary, one of the definitions for shipwreck, very interesting. You know what it is? The destruction of hopes, dreams, etc. What you were hoping for it hadn't turned out like you expected, what you were dreaming of. Shipwreck. First Timothy, Paul writes, holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck in regard to the faith. It very simply means they're not following the Lord. They're out of the will of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to a man named Balaam. The angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, anytime you see the angel of the Lord, that's Christ before becoming the man, Jesus. Christ. Christ appears. And here's what he said to Balaam. I have come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. It was a gracious thing for the angel of the Lord, Christ in the Old Testament, appear to Balaam to try to steer him off his reckless path. You could, you could very easily say, you're headed towards shipwreck. And I've come to try to save you, deter you. It is the Christmas season. I couldn't help but going to this verse. Uh, we know it, I think, for unto us a child is born, a son is given, the government will be on his shoulders. And he'll be called, first, first thing, he'll be called Wonderful Counselor. I love Psalm 32, especially this verse. The Lord says, I'll instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I'll counsel you with my loving eye on you. God wants the best for us. He's not trying to trick us. He's not the deceiver. Satan's the deceiver and we deceive ourselves. He wants the best for us. He said, this is the way to go. This is the way you need to go. I'll guide you, I'll teach you. Psalm 73, this is, this is a good verse. 
You'll guide me with your counsel. Then you'll take me into glory. You know, sometimes God says things, and when you read it, you go, really, God really said that? Proverbs 1 is like that. I mean, you read it, and you go, really, this is God? This is God talking like this? Say, what do you mean? Well, let me read you a little section. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20. Out of the open, wisdom calls aloud. She raises her voice in the public square. On top of the wall, she cries out. At the city gate, she makes her speech. How long will you who are simple love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? Repent at my rebuke. Then I'll pour out my thoughts to you. I'll make known to you my teachings. But since you refuse to listen when I call, no one pays attention when I stretch out my hand. Since you disregard all my advice, do not accept my rebuke. I, in turn, will laugh when disaster strikes you. You say, that's God? I'll mock when calamity overtakes you, when calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind, when distress and trouble overwhelm you. Then they will call to me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but I will not, now they will not find me. Since they hated knowledge, didn't choose to hear the fear of the Lord, since they would not accept my advice and spurn my rebuke, they'll eat the fruit of their ways. Be filled with the fruit of their schemes. For the waywardness of the simple will kill them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But I love that it doesn't end on a negative note. Listen to what the final verse says. But whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease. That's peace without fear of harm. Let me give it to you as best as I can in summary form. Heeding godly counsel will save you from unnecessary rough waters, from storms, and from potential shipwreck in life. But as Jim so well put it, you have to do it. Following the majority is usually the wrong direction and the wrong decision. If you're going with the crowd, you're probably going the wrong direction. I strongly felt in my spirit that this is a prophetic word for some. A prophetic word. No amount of human effort can solve the problems brought about by ignoring godly counsel. I put in my notes, if we could fix the problems created by ignoring godly counsel, we would have no need of God. But like in the story of Acts chapter 27, God brought them to a place where their only hope was to trust him and to submit by faith. I'll tell you this one too. Listening to godly counsel after making poor decisions does not usually mean that you'll get immediate calm and peace. Now I want to give you what, in my opinion, my opinion, and the first one, the first one is, is hands down. I call it uh, some biggie counsel topics. These are biggies. Because there's so many things we could talk about. So much counsel in this Bible right here. There's a lot of good counsel here. Numero uno, hands down, is salvation. And if you've ignored, ignored God's counsel on this one, you're going to spend an eternity regretting it and there's nothing you're going to be able to do about it. You won't be able to come back. There's, there is no such thing as purgatory. It's a lie. From places like the Catholic Church, it's a lie. It's not true. There is no such thing as purgatory. It's appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. 
And then the judgment is based on the decisions you made in this life, not after this life. been listening to another edition of The Living Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Fellowship. Thanks for joining us. Have you been enjoying this study in the book of Acts? If so, Pastor Danny has more to share from this series, and we hope that you'll tune in to hear about it. Acts is a powerful book full of incredible things that God did in the early church. Isn't it amazing how he uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things? With that in mind, open your heart up to the call that God has on your life. He's gifted you with incredible things that can impact his kingdom in mighty ways. If God can use Paul, he can use you too. If you'd like to hear more of Pastor Danny's messages from this series in the book of Acts, visit ccfstpete.church. Once you're there, click on the media tab and you'll be able to find an archive of past teachings. If you live in or near the St. Petersburg area, we would love to meet you. Visit us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship on Saturdays at 6 p.m. or Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. for a time of worship and Bible study. You can find out more by going to our website, ccfstpete.church. If you're unable to join us in person, no worries. We offer a live stream of our weekend services. Just visit our website and click on the link in the menu. We're glad to know that you're a part of our listening audience, and we hope that you'll continue to desire and search out and study the living word.